Hi everyone and welcome back to Relationships Rock. Today we're addressing a touchy subject. We are talking about Shomer Nagia and dating. I am so grateful to Dr. Yassi Ives who agreed to come back on. He was with us on the episode about getting stuck when you're dating to talk about this very important subject. A few weeks ago, I reached out to him because I started to notice that this was really a topic that needed to be addressed. And I don't want to create kind of like a like a world drama here, like, oh my gosh, everyone is breaking Shomer Nagia. This is affecting everyone. I don't think it's really such a big problem, but it definitely is a problem. And it's something that I feel should be addressed and potentially through having a discussion about it could really help a lot of people out there. I want to make a big disclaimer. This episode is really geared towards individuals and singles who hold themselves to the value of Shomer Nagia. So this is not for someone who has never been Shomer or doesn't want to be Shomer. This is for somebody who identifies as a Shomer Nagia individual who sees the value in it and who starts off dating with every intention to continue to be Shomer Nagia. And then something happened. So this is for you. I want to thank again Dr. Yassi Ives for joining us to what promises to be a very interesting and touchy subject. Absolutely great to have this discussion. So as you just heard, this is not about lecturing to people. This isn't about preaching. This isn't about trying to moralize. This isn't about trying to tell people how they should lead their lives. The conversation here is on the assumption that we're talking about people who voluntarily and freely have chosen to live a Torah lifestyle and for whom Yiddishkeit is important and is a defining feature of their personality and their identity. And so coming from a position in which we're not arguing over the principles over what it is that we're trying to do here, which is to act within the Shidduch system in a manner that is proper in a manner that is fair, in a manner that is most importantly likely to lead to a successful outcome. In other words, to say the whole conversation here is on the assumption that the values that we're discussing are agreed. We're not here to try to persuade anybody to change their values, to adopt values that they don't believe in. But the Shidduch system is a system in the sense that although it's not an entirely monolithic process, there are different communities with different um, approaches to things. There, there are certain underlying assumptions, some underlying principles um, and assumed values that people who participate in the system have a reason to believe are, are kind of understood. And we start off with the, the basic premise that the Shidduch dating system is based on dating with purpose. Dating with purpose means that everyone understands that they're there for one purpose only, which is to decide whether or not the person that they're talking to, the person they're meeting, is someone they would like to marry. Whatever happens, if that question has been answered, the dating immediately comes to a halt. So if a person is dating and decides they don't want to marry the person, then they end the dating. They don't continue because they get along and they would make good friends. Similarly, if they decide that they are suitable for each other, they also end the dating by getting engaged. And the defining feature of dating with purpose is that everything that takes place during the dating should be related to that goal. So everything that happens should be because it contributes 
in some way towards answering that question. Is this somebody I would like to marry? And that means to say the things which are either going to contribute little or nothing to the to answering that question, or maybe even undermine the ability to answer that question, really have no place in shidduch dating. In other words, to say, in modern dating or secular dating or dating as it takes place in most of the Western world, there are three stages. Shidduch dating only has two. Mainstream dating, you have the part where the two people usually new to each other or who have little previous interaction with each other begin to develop a connection. And then that transitions into a stage of friendship, boyfriend, girlfriend, where the two people see themselves as being in some sort of relationship, but yet not committed and not necessarily even thinking about marriage at that point. But with the understanding that it could result eventually in that if it continues to go well. Shidduch dating does not have that middle stage. So you only have the process of getting to know somebody. And once it's clear that the person is somebody suitable, you skip out the friendship stage and you go to the marriage stage. And therefore, in secular dating, there are all kinds of things that would be normal within the dating process because they fit into this middle stage of dating do not fit in and do not make sense when it comes to shidduch dating. One of those is physical contact, which is a very normal thing for a couple to do. Um, and if people are within a friendship, then the friendship involves all aspects of being friends. In a romantic situation, physical contact would seem like a completely normal and natural thing to do. But because there is no friend stage in shidduch dating, there is no place for physical contact. Um, that's what takes place in the context of marriage. So what happens when people do become physical is that they're introducing something into the dating process that the dating process is not set to accommodate. So it's throwing a spanner into the works it would be like somebody showing up into their classroom in school with a, a fully grown cow. There's nothing actually bad about cows, but there's no way a classroom has a what to do with a full grown cow. So the whole room is going to be thrown into chaos because now something has been introduced into the classroom. The classroom is not designed to handle. It doesn't have a, an animal pen. It doesn't have any way of being able to deal with what could come about if if, if, a, if a cow shows up in a classroom. Introducing in physical contact into dating means putting the shidduch dating system to the test that it's not designed to succeed at, and therefore the chances of failure increase exponentially. The marriage context is very much um, designed to accommodate it, and that's why there's very, very few examples of physical contact turning out to be a problem in a marriage because the marriage is set to do that. Um, there are all kinds of ways in which that is incorporated and it's usually fine. But in the, in the shidduch dating process, there is no place for it and therefore it is normally going to cause mayhem. Um, it happens to be that Yiddishkeit Bechlal is very much organized around this idea of set things, the Manva Ace. 
um, the whole idea of Yiddishkeit, wherever you turn, it's this idea that everything has a time and place, that certain things are a mitzvah on certain occasions, but they're really um, discouraged on other occasions. You have things like Kilayim and Shatnes and Basa Bacholov. You can go through every single aspect of halacha, every aspect of Torah, and you will see how, you know, Eating chametz on a, on a regular Shabbos is a mitzvah. Eating it on Pesach is an avera. You just have to go through every single aspect of Torah, and you see how it's not about things necessarily being good or bad. It's a, does it fit in with whatever we're trying to achieve? And if it's going to cause disruption, then we we discourage it because in order to achieve long term goals, you cannot be chaotic. You have to have plan you have to be thought through i know we want to be spontaneous but actually dating is a very thought through process you're making the biggest decision of your life and you need to do so with your head screwed on okay you have feelings and those feelings matter too but if those feelings are not guided by some kind of overarching plan if they're not uh, structured around a, a procedure a, a method the so-called process then what happens is it's each to their own and some people are lucky and they pull it off and in many other cases people get themselves into all kinds of bother yeah i love how you're you're, you're focusing on how you, know, you have to think about what's the purpose of the shidduch dating right what's the purpose of anything that i introduce into the relationship that i'm in and what goal am i going to achieve through that and you know as as i mentioned when i when i reached out to dr ives you know i said to him i'm seeing how this is ruining potential you know a lot of times when couples introduce this cow into the classroom they end up breaking it off for numerous reasons that we're going to discuss, you know, a, a little bit later on. And just to build on that for a minute, I think whenever you do anything in life, you always want to think about what is the goal? What am I trying to accomplish? And this is definitely the case when you're thinking about this kind of topic, right? What are you trying to accomplish or what do you think that breaking Shomunagia will accomplish, right? What's the goal? And if the goal is to build a bias name on Bistral, if the goal is to see if I'm going to be able to marry this person, if this person is suitable for me for marriage, right? If that's the goal, then you have to stay focused on that. We're not here to try to persuade anybody to change their values. Maybe there's a legitimate um, uh, point in doing so in trying to promote good values. But here we're having a conversation based upon the assumption that these are values that people uphold themselves and they see themselves as from people who are committed to Torah mitzvahs. The question is, do you approve of it? When you ask yourself honestly, who am I? What do I stand for? You would not be dating someone who you didn't think was committed to Torah mitzvahs. And so the, the, the practice of getting physically involved with, with another person at a time when halacha does not condone it, does not have any place for it, really goes in, in in contradicts the person's own value system, the person's own idea about what they're looking to do. Um, I've asked many people, if a young lady you're dating asked you out to an non-kosher restaurant, would you go? And the answer is universally, absolutely not. I said, but look, you like her. She's asked you to go. Maybe it's something you should just say yes to. I've never once had anybody say to me, well, I would do it then. They say, no, if she wants me to go to an non-kosher restaurant, that means to say she's not from. I am not going to marry somebody who doesn't want to keep kosher. And then I say to them, but do you realize that whatever you just told me you did was equal to that or worse, halakhically speaking? So 
it doesn't make sense to me. Why would a person do this? In fact, it depends on what a person is doing. It could be a lot worse than eating in a non-kosher restaurant. In fact, some of the things that people get up to, I, they're, they're quite amazed when I tell them that whatever you just said you did would be halakhically equivalent to eating a cheeseburger on Yom Kippur. And they say, are you for real? I say, maybe worse. It doesn't make sense. Why? And what's really shocking to me is that people who've been to yeshiva and have been to seminary and are, are educated, at least ostensibly so, don't seem to understand that what they're doing so I may not be offended, it doesn't bother me, but it doesn't make sense. And if you do things that don't make sense, all I would say to people is, wherever you are, be that, okay? It, if you not um, act in a coherent manner, if you fail to stick to whatever it is that you really believe in when you're dating, then you're, you're undermining the very thing you're trying to do. Just try to find somebody that fits with your values. As we said in the beginning, you know, we're not judging, but there obviously is an alakic aspect. And what I find interesting is there are times when, you know, girls will say to me, listen, I understand why Shomaragiyah is important before getting engaged, right? Before you make a good decision, so it doesn't cloud your judgment. But after you make a decision, so it's like it's, it's optional, you know, and they kind of forget what you said this aspect of. No, it's literally eating treif. You know, it, it, there is an alakic component to it. That if that's your value, that you keep Allah and that you're from Jew, you have to also keep in mind. And I think, you know, even if someone wanted to take the Allah out of it, what happens when you break Shomunagiyah, and that is what you stand for, and that's your value, it negatively impacts the person and how you see them. Again, I'm not here to, 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 to moralize, but I do think the truth is the truth. And I see the consequences all the time. And I think people should know what it is that they're um, risking when they don't stick to their own values. So here are a few points to consider. One is that it significantly risks that one or the other part will have a plummeting respect for the other. At the end of the day, especially when it comes to the woman having respect for the man, but the truth is it works both ways, that there is a, a desire to marry somebody you look up to, somebody you admire, somebody you respect. And even though that person may have been a full participant the other party in the process of uh, physical contact. In other words, to say it wasn't like one party imposed it on the other. But later on, when everything comes down and they have to go back and reflect on what they did and face themselves, there's often a feel feeling that how on earth did this happen? Why was this allowed to happen? This isn't the kind of person I thought I would marry. This isn't the kind of dating experience or engagement experience that I was anticipating. And it leads to a lot of questions which nobody really wants to see asked. And those questions don't generally get answered in the other person's favor. In the context of marriage, the two parties are gonna do the same and more, and it's not supposed to lead to a loss of respect. But this takes us back to the original point. In the context of marriage, nobody thinks it's a problem. In fact, it's a necessary thing. It's the first mitzvah in the Torah. Nobody would see this as something other than something appropriate, sanctioned, endorsed, and welcomed. But in the context of dating, it isn't. In the context of an engagement, it isn't. And the risk that people will lose respect for each other is quite real. And it is not smart to toy with that because when you lose respect, I think people understand this, it's very difficult to regain it. Respect is one of those things that's hard to earn and very easy to lose. And once you've lost it, good luck getting it back. And therefore, people should be very careful before for the sake of a, of a momentary thrill, they risk undermining 
the the number one commodity that they have, which is their own dignity and the respect of the person that they would like to spend their life with. I think also it's not just they lose the respect, but now this person who you want to build, you know, a vice name on Israel with represents for you someone who brought you down, someone that you sinned with, someone that it's not just that they didn't stand for your values or they don't have the same values, but they're almost like the catalyst by which you fell. And that guilt can really weigh on the person and it impacts the respect as well as the connection between the couple and the home that they wanted to build. A hundred percent. And and that brings me to, to, to my next point, which is that from what I've seen, couples that get involved in this later on, and often later on means an hour later, are left to deal with some really difficult, sometimes even crippling feelings of guilt and shame. Guilt and shame, not because anybody else knew what they did because until I was told I didn't know and probably nobody else still knows this isn't like they were publicly shamed on the internet this is the feeling that they've let themselves down the feeling that they got their relationship into a place that they were not they were not looking to and those feelings are quite corrosive and what could have been and what should have been a really wonderful time of personal growth and connection becomes marred by this feeling that maybe something isn't right. I'd, how did we get into this? And starts raising questions about the wholesomeness of the relationship and the suitability of the other person. And it it, it takes the couple and it takes the relationship in places I can assure you they do not want to go. There's something uh, special about a certain innocence and purity that people get married knowing that there's this mystery, there's this something that they're they're working towards and they're building up to and that all can become cheapened and 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 sullied very easily and again not everybody will say that some people will say that they didn't have that reaction at all and they had no guilt and no shame and you know god bless them i'm not saying this is true for everybody maybe maybe it's my bad luck and all the people who feel bad about things come to me but i've seen enough damage that i just do not know why anybody would take that risk it doesn't seem to be worth it when you think that you have a whole life to be able to have a wonderful relationship without any guilt, without any shame, and and knowing that this is the most wonderful thing, instead, for for uh, an impatience or uh, an impulsivity, we end up with people later on really quite quite held back, quite hampered, quite disabled by all these negative emotions at a time when. The last thing they need is negative emotions. Yeah. And I want to make a quick distinction. I, I think we're talking about a group of people who have made the decision to be Shumanagia from the beginning and people who possibly have never broken it before. You know, if if anyone's listening here and you know, it's something that they just don't don't keep by, I think it impacts you differently. I think that when you've made the decision of, you know, I am dating a guy who's gonna be learning before we first get married, or I'm a learning guy. And you've never broken Shomanagia, has never been part of your concept. And then you break it. That's when I think it really spirals out of control. I'm not saying that it's positive to not keep it. I feel like that's a different discussion. But I think that the, the demographic that we're speaking about is a, is a group of people who have made the decision that that's part of, that's consistent with their values. And then it leads to this, you know, lack of respect and guilt and shame and one of the questions that I get asked, because, you know, I speak to the ladies on, on the side of this is, um, 
how can I say that I'm a front-based Yaakov girl now? You know, when they break up with the guy, which is often what ends up happening, because it's very difficult to continue a relationship, like Dr. Ives said, when there's no respect. The next question is, how can I present as a front-based Yaakov girl? How can I present as a girl who values Torah and who values a guy who's going to be learning? And then the follow-up question is, do I have to tell him? You know, is this something that I have to reveal? And how is he going to respect me? How is he going to look at me? And it just leads, like you said, to this downward spiral for the relationship as well as on a personal level for the person. I endorse everything you said. This is not meant to persuade people who are not Sherman Nagia. We're talking to people who are. I have to say the word Sherman Nagia has different meanings. Um, and in many cases, what we're talking about is well beyond what is normal, even within most modern Orthodox circles. Um, people are not just holding hands. Um, and some of the things that go on, and I'll come to this in a minute, are, are such that it's hard really to see how anybody who's minimally a Shomer Mitzvah would consider this appropriate. Um, again, not judging, but I would say that they would admit that it's it's something that is irreconcilable with the halachic framework. Um, and absolutely, it does not only lead to or often leads to problematic feelings and struggles within the context of the existing relationship. But if the relationship doesn't survive and the person then has to go forward, they have to go forward knowing that this is what's gone on and have to then struggle with whether to say something or not say something. And all of those things themselves come with their own levels of, of, of guilt and shame and confusion. Um, but I, I want to pick up on that point about spiraling out of control and 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 lean into that for a minute because i don't get to know everybody's business but occasionally i do find out what's gone on and it's quite alarming in other words people who had never contemplated something as serious as that as, as whatever they got up to found whether or not we approve of people doing this that or the other i think we need to recognize that sometimes seriously does control um I, i've had a session here two weeks before their wedding date that really is not no way in the world that anybody would think that was a good idea um that happened even after something close to that happened already and despite that they couldn't get their act together and avoid putting themselves in that position sadly in this case the couple got divorced a year later so now she has all this and not even her husband. This was a really bad decision and should never have happened in the first place. In fact, um, those two people, I'm not going to give too much detail, but those two people had made major sacrifices in their life for the sake of Yiddishkeit in order to, to embrace a life of Torah mitzvahs. In, in, in one case, came from the other end of the earth, literally, to come to Yiddishkeit weeks before when it's all working out so well for them and everything is set up for them to have a great life together, they would have ended up in a situation where they made those mistakes. And it's just it's, it's just something which um, we should not say, well, I, I would never go there. I would never happen to me. I've seen too many examples of things going seriously wrong for me to not feel that it's my obligation, to be honest, that it doesn't always end in some innocent messing around. Another point to understand is that if a person knew for sure that there was no risk to them, then 
you could argue that's between them and, and, and their God. But sometimes the person is agreeing, maybe reluctantly, to go along with it because he or she doesn't want to upset the apple cart, doesn't want to push the other person away, doesn't want to create distance, wants the closeness and feels that it may be a reasonable concession to make for the sake of the peace. But often what happens is the other person is simply testing the waters, is looking to see how far he or she can push things. And once they pushed it to the, to the point that they feel they were aiming to do, the thrill, the excitement for them is lost. Now they kind of, there's nothing that they want that they can't get. And the person's no longer that interesting and, and they're inclined to drop it. The person who made this concession, which they, because they've now done it, in order to person over, now, found, now find another person has left, they feel cheapened and defiled and annoyed with themselves for having gone along with it. Book called Unmatched. Um, and this is written by a, an Orthodox woman who describes a very long journey through um, dating and some of the struggles and ups and downs she had. One of the stories she tells really stings. She's uh, Shomenagir, or Shomerazmanagir. On one occasion, she was dating somebody who really wanted it to work. She was really the whole thing. And he, at one point, said, you know, what, um, what, what her, asked her what her policy was. And she, like, said, like, what do you... Like, and and he, he got the message and dropped the subject. But then, after several dates, he felt comfortable to make her advance towards her and in that split second she had to decide was she going to refute him or was she going to go along with it and she felt that she's ready and older single she's dating for a long time she's finally found someone she likes she's not going to give him a room walk away and so she went along with it uh, he messaged her say he wants to speak to her tomorrow and he called her up and said that he doesn't think compatible and wants to end the dating because as he said he thinks that she's not from enough for him and she was, as you can imagine, appalled because here was somebody who was who pushed somebody who he knew was Shemaris Nagia to be to compromise on, on, on her own standards. And then having got her to violate her own principles, he then dumps her on the basis that she's not from enough for him. It's beyond belief that somebody would do this. It's beyond belief that somebody would have the chutzpah to make such a statement. Um, but it also reminds us why we should not be so quick to give up on our standards for the sake of pleasing, because the, the way it works is like this. If somebody likes you and respects you, they're not going to walk away because you don't agree to, to, to physical contact. And in the very, very unlikely circumstance where someone does, I think it's almost clear cut from that. This person isn't somebody who is going to work out for you and you're not losing anything by walking away the morals and the ethics of this which is if you knew before you started dating that somebody is a v it would be disrespectful extreme to start to push on them your uh, your turkey sandwich it's clear they don't eat meat you didn't have to date them but if you're going to can you not respect that is it that difficult to, to understand that that person's preferences and they should be accepted and respected and especially if the only you took them to a meat restaurant when you knew they were vegan which is disrespectful and hurtful but if you kind of manipulated them in, into eating it 
in a manner that was not entirely sensitive to their feelings. That person may agree to it at the time because whatever reason they got caught up in the moment and they didn't know how to get out of it, but they will later on be annoyed and hurt and maybe even seriously um, disgusted that somebody would put them in that situation, have so little respect for them. And so I think it's not unreasonable for us to apply the same principles to the issue of, of Shamir Sinagir. Whatever one's own personal views, and I'm not judging people, that's up to them. But I would judge somebody who had so little respect for others that he or she thought it was appropriate, knowing full well that the other person is strictly Shomer gear, to put them in a situation where they were forced to choose between them and breaking their principles. There's just no way to even wrap my head around it. Like what, what would get into somebody's head? What would possess someone to be that insensitive and that disrespectful towards anybody on anything? I mean, would you do that if you knew someone was lactose intolerant or celiac or gluten intolerant and you try to, and to think that this would be done in the process of dating, which is about building a loving relationship with somebody, you think to yourself, like, like, what kind of mental derangement would, would give a person the idea that this was acceptable? And so I think we need to call it what it is, predatory behavior. And I've been um, approached by Shatranim in the past, asked, should I set someone up with a young man, let's say, who is known to turn the relationship physical? No, she is. And I didn't have to think for a fraction of a second. I said, absolutely not. That is, that is literally criminal behavior to do that. If he is in even if officially he is, but in practice, we know from multiple reports that he's not. And we know that this person will never agree to such behavior. They should never be put in that position. I'm talking more about people who aren't deliberately out to corrupt people. I'm talking about people who just don't have any real respect for the fact that the person sitting in front of them isn't looking for that. And that should be enough of a reason to respect it. And it should be considered out of the question for any decent human being to go on a date without being able to, from the outset, intend to respect the boundaries, intend to respect the preferences, and intend to respect the values of the person they're dating. That should be an absolutely baseline, that if someone doesn't think that's what's expected of them, what are they doing on a date? It's just so completely unfathomable that somebody would think that's acceptable. The purpose of our discussion is to give voice to issues that need to be raised so that people can benefit from these ideas and apply them as they see fit in their own lives. So I'll just tell you what I hear, what I see, what I experience. There are people who come into dating with a completely free spirit. They're just happy-go-lucky. And as long as they meet somebody they like, somebody nice, then it just flows. As you say in Hebrews, Zezorem. Okay, everything just falls into place. And that is the case for most people. But we need to understand that there's a big enough chunk, I call it the 20%, who will experience dating in as more of a struggle. They're more likely to be confused. They're more likely to be conflicted. They're more likely to find aspects of the dating are, are, are challenging for them. I'm not going to go into this in, in detail, but I've spoken about this previously with you. But we need to understand that the people 
for whom dating can be less of a, a um, comfortable affair are more prone to fears and worries. And I've watched people who perhaps had their questions about attraction, which is something which they struggle with. Would I be attracted? How I feel about certain things? And all of this is in the back of their mind. And then because of the physical interaction, this goes from being this thing at the back of their mind to being a full-blown panic. Well, um, we did it, and I didn't get excited about it, um, uh, and therefore maybe I'm not really attracted to her. And I've seen situations where it's given enough rise to concern that the, the relationship has either gone into crisis or has even ended. In other words, to say, in this case, it was a young lady who initiated the physical contact and the young man who had enough of his own doubts and enough of his own struggles was left in a situation where he felt now the questions had gone from being purely hypothetical to being very tangible and was in, in real distress about it. And of course, then she sees his distress and says, what's wrong? And so either he has to lie, which doesn't go off very well, because, you know, most people are not very good at lying, especially when it's quite obvious. Um, or he has to go explain. And then she starts saying, one second over here. So is there a problem? Right? Maybe you're not attracted to me. Maybe you're not even attracted to women altogether and whatever. And it weighs so many questions. You've no idea what kind of hours of work had to be done to try to put this thing back together. Um. And the whole irony is this, that when people are having an illicit interaction, an interaction which by their own values is not justifiable, then there are all these dis different areas of discomfort beyond the normal fact that these are not people who are used to being interacting with each other in this way. All the guilt and shame and all of the um, insecurities that come with doing something which they're, they're aware that is not a something that should be happening. And so the ability for them to struggle with how they feel about that interaction is very real. And so they're now going to judge how they would feel if they were married and when none of those problems existed. And so it's an absurdity whereby he's saying to me, I, I'm having all these negative reactions to, to this and, and, and therefore maybe there's a real problem. And I'm saying, but you shouldn't have been doing this by your own standard. So why are you surprised that you have all these negative reactions? And now he thinks that he's going to have the same negative reactions even in the marriage when things are absolutely okay. And so it's you know stimulating a whole level of worry and fear and anxiety, which which was maybe sitting in the back of his head till now, and now it all comes to the fore. And now, even when they do get married. He's panicking and he's worried and he's thinking it's all going to go pear-shaped, even though had he not had those interactions, he would have known that, well, everybody has to do, you know, go through that process of getting used to it. And But now it's, it's so much more um, visceral and so much more tangible, his fear and and and, and concern and, and anxiety and tension. Yeah. Another point that I want to bring up is, you know, sometimes when I was speaking to the, the, the ladies on the other side who agreed to break Shomer Nagia. And, you know, one of the questions is why? Why do they allow themselves to do that? And of course, attraction, you know, um, I actually, the last week's episode was on attraction and I mentioned how wanting physical closeness is just a natural progression of the relationship and therefore you should make boundaries. So it's, 
it's natural to want that. But what I find interesting is that sometimes people try to create closeness, to force closeness by breaking Shomernegiyah, meaning they have worries, they have concerns, they have doubts. And as a way to kind of put down those doubts or as a way to kind of force the relationship to progress, or maybe if they're feeling they're not really connecting emotionally and they want to feel the connection, they almost turn to that to create the connection, which obviously backfires as we've spoken because it ends up on the contrary, creating more distance. Um, I, I know there's a quote by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which I don't know by heart, but um, you, you, you probably know it, Dr. Ives, about trying to create yeah. closeness and create distance. How, how does it go? It's, it's people who try to create closeness when they're supposed to be distance end up with distance when they're supposed to be closeness. That is exactly what happens, I, I have seen. There is no way that the Shidduch system can incorporate physical contact and so that it cannot contribute to resolving the question about whether the person is suitable. Besides which, if you think about it, it's profoundly illogical because the things that they're trying to figure out are not, I'm, I wonder what it's like to, have to, to be holding her hand. Um, the questions that they're trying to figure out are more like, do I see this person as the mother of my children? Can I see this person as my life partner? Right? There are so many questions that people are going through and there's something called substitution. It's a, a theory in economics, and it basically means that human beings feel a tremendous uh, compulsion to answer questions. Like if I ask you the time before you've even had a chance to figure out why I'm asking you the time or why I don't just look at my own watch, you're already looking at your watch trying to figure out the time. So if I ask you a question, you immediately look for an answer before you've even had a chance to ask yourself whether you're even the person who should be getting the question. Um, it's just human nature. Uh, but the problem is sometimes questions are very difficult to answer. And so what we have a habit of doing is replacing difficult questions with easy questions in our head. So the difficult question is, would I be happy in 50 years being married to this person? That's very difficult. 50 years is a very long time. How on earth is somebody supposed to know? But how would it feel like if I was holding their hand? Seems like a lot easier question to answer. And so instead of trying to answer the difficult question, we replace it with an easy question because then we have the satisfaction of answering the question. And so the the the, the uneasiness of not having an answer goes away. But of course, it's a trick that's been done because the fact the question that we answered wasn't the, the question that was asked. Um, and so nothing is achieved. So the question that we need to focus on in dating is whether or not this is somebody that I could be married to for many years, um, happily and successfully, um, not, do you think I would like to give them a hug? Okay, they're not equal questions. One is a lot easier to answer, but it's a lot less important to answer. And so you need to stick to the real question, however hard it is, because no, no matter how many easy questions you answer, it will not replace answering the one difficult one, the only question that really, really matters. Um, one thing we never discussed, is the way that physical contact can interfere in good judgment. Of course, I'm not saying this is for everybody the same, but I think it's it's fair to say, and it's a cliche, but it's still true. It is such an important decision that we make. And of course, we are gonna be influenced by a range of things, including physical appearance, which is appropriate. But because of the importance of our decision and because of the long-term consequences of our decision, we really have to make sure that we're being driven by the right reasons and by the right considerations. I don't think it's realistic to think that people 
are not going to find that if they are benefiting from a physical relationship with somebody, that that could be enough of a reason for someone to be discouraged from walking away. I fully understand that there are people, including in the secular world, who have physical relationships and they end them, even though that means losing the physical contact because they don't believe the relationship is what they want. Um, I'm not that naive. But I'm also fully aware that many times people do not do that for exactly that reason. And just because you're from doesn't mean to say you're beyond being able to be um, affected by that. It is, um, after all, especially if you've not been um, in, in contact with somebody the opposite gender before, it can be a very exciting, thrilling, and even overwhelming experience, um, as it should be. But it, it's not unreasonable to think that this could mess with a person's objectivity and lead them to stay longer in a, in a dating relationship than really makes sense. And that could mean potentially causing a lot of hurt and a lot of damage. And even in some cases, finding oneself in a, in, in a marriage that was never really a good idea from the, in, in the first place. And so it's not a good idea for a person to cloud their judgment until, until they're really sure. Of course, this isn't a reason not to be um, in physical contact after the engagement when the decision's already been made. But it's certainly a reason to be very cautious about this during the dating process itself. For anyone who's listening on here and they're saying, wow, like I never want to get to that point what are some, what's advice that you could give to people to create boundaries that will allow them to keep the relationship respectful, focused, and not break Shomunikia, which for some people feels like it's a very easy thing or, or a very uh, downward spiral to get to? That is a very, very difficult question. And I'll tell you why. Because most people, when they started out dating, did not even think for a moment that this was even a question. The people, as I said, this conversation is focused at are people who thought they would have as much physical contact as they would eat pork. It's just not something that they imagined. Um, and depending, again, on what people do, not being shown managia can be considerably worse than eating pork, halakhically. It's not something that people imagined. I, I don't think people thought that they went to the Shatran and they were looking to meet someone who's a graduate of a respectable yeshiva, and that this person's going to come on a date with them, and on date number eight, he's going to bring out a platter of non-kosher food. It's just not something they contemplate. And so we're not prepared for it. And so when it happens, it's really quite confusing. In fact, I don't think that many yeshivas, if any, and many seminaries, if any, in any sector of the Torah-observant world, that these things are really spoken about. Nobody's even discussing not to do it or how to deal with the fact that some people will try to propose it should be done. And so this is completely unspoken about and everyone is coming to this, I think, with the best of intentions in almost all cases. So it, it, it comes out of nowhere. And I think that's why we need to talk about it. Because I think if somebody was clear in their mind. This is not something that should be happening. It's too much of a risk of things going wrong. And even if you're one of the lucky ones, well, there are plenty who are going to pay a price for this. And a really, in some cases, painful price. So I think it there's something um, called um, an implementation intention in psychology. What they found is this. 
If somebody goes to work every day, they pass a bakery and every day they're tempted to go in the bakery and buy these baked goods and they're putting on the pounds and they're trying to figure out how can they stop themselves from going into the bakery? Okay. Well, willpower is very difficult because when you have that smell of that croissant wafting into your, your nostrils, it's very overpowering. And before you know it, you've bought three pastries. Um, so it's very difficult. And just say, just say no. Well, that's the biggest lie in human history, right? If it were that easy, right? So there's a guy called Peter Goldwitzer. He, um, a German psych psychologist, he came up with this idea. He tested it called implementation intentions. If a person does what's called a, a, um, a yes-no binary, a kind of if-then binary, the person says, if I go past the bakery, I won't go inside. They increase the chances of not going inside by 50%. Just having made a statement that I won't do it, right? When I smell that croissant, I will not go inside, okay? There's still a 50% chance they will, meaning as much as the percentage was before they said this. But they have halved the chances of them doing this by simply having set in their mind conscious decision where they link one thing with another thing. And if somebody says, look, I'm aware, let's not be naive, that you know, if you meet somebody you like and you're feeling very close and you've opened your heart and soul to them, you've told them secrets you haven't told your own parents, and you're feeling profoundly close to this person, it may feel like a very natural thing to do and very tempting. And especially if the other party recommends it, it may feel very difficult to say no. So it's important that people do set in their mind a clear implementation intention. This is shidduch dating. We're dating with a purpose. The purpose is to get married. Whatever will help me get married, I will do. Whatever won't help me get married, especially if it will potentially help me not get married, I won't do. And you need to understand that when these things happen, there's nobody else around. There's no rov there. There's no mashpia. There's no dating coach. It all happens in the moment. And that's too late. So I think this conversation is important because hopefully at least some people will think one second over here. I really need to be clear in my head before I get into that situation. What I want to achieve and be clear that I'm going to stay focused on what I came here to do. Yeah, and I would say is don't walk by the bakery. You know, take a different take a different street. And I know like the advice generally given is, you know, don't hang out too late, you know, be careful of being like in very dark places. So you also have to be smart when you're dating, especially as the progression as the relationship progresses and you feel more closeness to be mindful of boundaries and how much time you're spending together and, and, and where you are. I, I want to ask you one further question, Dr. Ives. And that is, you know, sometimes I've heard the comment of like, well, if they've already broken it with this guy, they almost feel a pressure of they must break it with the next guy or they're already damaged goods. And how can they kind of um, not say something or how can they continue on being a quote unquote basiaco girl when they've already created, you know, done one mistake? I, I can't go along with any of that. I, first of all, I'm not ready to accept that a human being is damaged goods. I don't care what they've done. Um, we're, I guess, in theoretically, Certain things are what's called in the Gemara what's a pasuk. The Gemara says there are certain things that are irreparable, that it, it it's gone, it's done. 
um, I accept that there's a concept of of as mane bottle carbono that sometimes the carbon can only be brought on a certain time and that time has passed and it's too late. I understand you can't always fix everything, but a person is not a static thing. A person gets up every day and today's a new day and we can transform ourselves. So I'm regardless almost of what it is that the person did, but we have the ability to take hold of ourselves and ask ourselves, what kind of person would we like to be, right? Um, there's a famous story from Rabbi Levitz, every night before he went to bed, he would say, tomorrow's going to be completely different. And he would say every single night, tomorrow's going to be completely different. And then one day he says, but Levi Yitzchok, every night you say this and the next day is never different. So who are you kidding? You're just saying it. He says, you know, it's true. Every day so far has not been different, but tomorrow will be different. And that's the point. Tomorrow will be different. And even though you said it before, maybe last time you made the same mistake. I get it, but tomorrow will be different. And I believe in people and I don't believe that people should be prisoners of their past. I think people need to accept the mistakes were made if they were made, understand where they came from, and to think about how to be smarter about it going forward. But I don't know if I go along with this idea of damaged goods. I think people rejuvenate, you know, the human body, the human skin. You can have very bad damage and the skin will 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 will, will heal itself. And I think that the human soul likewise can be healed and it can be renewed. Um, but I, I don't think that can happen if people learn nothing from what from what they've been through. And the purpose of this conversation is to say to people, whatever happened, happened. I'm not here to criticize. But let's get smarter going forward. And let's understand that when you're talking about a relationship that could last 50 years, maybe longer, right? Generations of Am Yisrael, we kind of have to have a head screwed on here. There's too much riding on it. It's the future of a whole people. There's our own lifelong happiness is riding on this. It's not a time to act like an idiot. Um, I, I have an entry on my website, which was composed in a moment of weakness. It said, uh, you might you might be an idiot, but you have no, you don't have to show it. Um, you know, we go on dates, and yeah, we may have our, our foolish side, we may have our impulsive side, we may have our um, less uh, mature side. And sometimes, you know, in life, we do do things that later on we think about what on earth was that for. But when you're dating, this just it's too much of a, of a, of 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 a important decision for that to to be allowed to happen. Yeah, you can have fun, you can you can be you know relaxed and casual and and have a good time. You don't have to come ultra serious, but not to the point where people end up making decisions that really seriously harm themselves. And I'm going to come back to the point we spoke about earlier. The ultimate hachnasas orche which, as you know, is the ultimate hospitality is dating. Somebody else is agreed to sit with you in a very vulnerable position and trust that if they give their time and they give their honesty and they give their vulnerability to you, that you will know how to treat them right. And you're the machnis oireach, you're Avraham Avino in that situation. Somebody else is emotional well-being. Somebody else's dignity. Somebody else's sanity depends on how you're going to behave the next few hours. And I think we all should just remember 
that somebody's daughter and that somebody's daughter is the almighty okay and that his only child right now is entrusted to us and how we behave towards them is the absolutely most important thing that matters on the whole planet right now and that means that when you when one acts with insensitivity or disrespect or discourtesy or does something which puts the other person at exposure of risk it's just unconscionable right because it would be like me inviting you to my house and then infecting you with covid or giving you food poisoning or giving you non-kosher food when you came to my house as my guest it's such a breach of trust it's such a violation of the code which is if i go on a date with you you look after me you have my back right just imagine if a guy took a, a a young lady on a date to a place where it was dangerous and they were then caught themselves in a shootout or something you think to yourself what mashogana would do such a thing you had one job to look after this young lady right one job you weren't being asked to cure cancer to develop you know artificial intelligence you've been asked to do one thing for the next few hours just carry out your duties responsibly how did you end up taking her to a place where her life was at risk when you take a young lady on a date and put her in a situation where spiritually or emotionally or psychologically you're putting her at risk how on earth can a person accept that is that is within the bounds of 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 normal and so again when we take people out on a date we are entrusted with their well-being I think it's not too much to ask that we honor that and that we live up to this to the height of our ability. I think especially if this young lady is then going to look at you to take care of her for the rest of her life, you know, and I think maybe this is also kind of bringing it all back together where part of losing the respect comes from like, well, I trusted this person and I'm looking for a husband who's going to take care of me. Right. So I. So one more point is absolutely crucial here. As somebody who. Journey and I watch what goes on. A very, very significant number of people get stuck. The word get stuck is just we're saying somewhere along the line to progress, they encounter a roadblock. So, without getting into what it is, we need to understand that the, the famous expression. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's a much less famous expression, which is even better, which is the road to heaven is paved with very tempting parking spots. In other words, we all want to go to heaven, but there were, uh, it was deliberately designed that there are so many tempting ways to get distracted that we end up losing focus and we never get there. Dating is a path to heaven. It's a, it's a journey to the ultimate gift. And it's very easy to get derailed. And we get derailed for a whole bunch of reasons. As I said, we get stuck in different ways. But what happens is, instead of what we're supposed to do, which is say, one second over here, my journey is useless if I stop even one inch before the finishing line. It's only going to be successful if I get there. And therefore, I need to make sure that I don't get distracted. And if I get stuck, I have to figure out how to get unstuck. 
Instead, what happens is we get into this kind of holding pattern. We don't know how to go forward. We don't want to go back to where we came from. And so we keep it going. The so-called friend zoning phenomenon. And this often results in, in, in the relationship plateauing, treading water, and ultimately, because if a relationship doesn't go forward, very quickly, believe it or not, very quickly, it will start to unravel. Relationships cannot be kept in a holding pattern. Not shidduch dating. The third, secular dating, yes, it has such a concept. You can be a boyfriend, girlfriend, you can move in together, you can go on vacation together. In shidduch dating, there is no capacity for that. And so if you can't go forward, you're going to ultimately lose it. And so the physical contact piece ties in very closely with his friend zoning. Why do you have to power forward and deal with any issues you have on the way to your ultimate success if you can just become a friend? And so part of the physical thing is simply, I don't know how to get to the end, so let's just make the journey more comfortable so at least if we fail, we had a good time along the way. Okay, And that is completely dysfunctional. Because the only reason why these two people ever decided to meet each other was because of a desire for marriage. How, within a matter of a few days, did they lose their way so badly? How was it that on their road to heaven, they ended up getting parked up in, in, in some beauty spot and forgot that they were on a journey somewhere, and now that's rapidly falling apart? And so I'm going to say that the physical interaction is often associated with a failure to actually do the one thing they're there to do, which they find hard, and so they get distracted by other things, or admittedly enjoyable, but ultimately useless because it's not what they set out to do. It would be like somebody who went to the supermarket to buy bread and milk because they have a starving family back home, ended up buying batteries, ended up buying cigarettes, ended up buying uh, a, a, an, um, an umbrella, but never came home with a food. Yes, very you know productive shopping spree, but unfortunately did not achieve what you set out to do. You, we're here to shop for a husband. We're here to shop for a wife. We're here with a clear goal, right? We have a shopping list. That shopping list has one item on it. Our entire shopping trip will depend whether or not that item was purchased or not, okay? And if we come home empty-handed with the item we intended to get, even if we have a whole bunch of other things, it was a failure, okay? So however much a person says, well, we had a great experience. I've had this from people. The dating experience was wonderful. I said, did it work out? No, but we had a good time. Well, then I don't care because you only set out with one goal and somehow or another, you've got distracted. And so the physical part is part of that distraction. I'm so happy you added that because that was, I think, like you said, one of the most important points. Um, and and I think when people say that is because they get so frustrated with the shidduch system, it's taking so long that they almost say, well, let me just enjoy the process. But I think it ends up making them more stuck and it ends up making everything, you know, take even longer. Wow, I think we've discussed so much. And I always say the goal of this podcast is really to get people to think, to think and to ponder and to apply and that was really the goal that we set out here to do. I want to just add one more thing. You know, the hardest question um, that people ask after they've been in this kind of situation is, how can I continue on? And how can I continue to date? And how can I say that I identify as a from Jew who is Shomer when I broke that, right? And, and do I have to reveal that to somebody else? And this is what I tell people, and I hope that anyone who's struggling with this lessons you are not defined by the one mistake that you did in your life. You are defined by everything that you do right. It is never too late to make changes. And just because you made a mistake, 
It just means that you're human. Welcome, welcome to Earth. Our goal here was to create a conversation, to begin a conversation. So for those singles who are listening or for the parents who are listening, this is something that you have to go into dating being very aware of with the right mindset, with the right goals, and keep focused on the purpose of Shidduch dating is for marriage. Namir Hashem, you should all find your Sivug very soon. Thank you again to Dr. Yassi Eyes for joining us. We'll talk soon. Thank you.